Hello, and welcome to In Conversation With, a podcast from the Lancet Oncology. It's March 2023, and I'm Allie Landman, the Deputy Editor. This month, I'm speaking with Professor Janet Brown, Chair in Translational Medical Oncology at the University of Sheffield in the UK. She is also currently Head of the Academic Unit of Clinical Oncology in Sheffield, which, with the Cancer Clinical Trial Center, encompasses responsibility for around 100 clinical and scientific researchers and associated funding. We'll be discussing the STAR trial, an open-label, non-inferiority, randomized controlled phase 2-3 trial of treatment cessation versus continuation of first-line tyrosine kinase inhibitors in patients with advanced clear cell renal cell carcinoma, which is in our issue this month. Hi, Dr. Brown. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. So please could you tell us about the backdrop for your study? What are the important considerations for treatment choice in patients with advanced kidney cancer? So I think the first important thing to say is that there's been some really effective new treatments in advanced kidney cancer in the last 15 years. And clearly this is welcome news uh, for both researchers and patients um, because they're looking forward to a longer life than before. But what we're increasingly realizing is that These treatments, unlike, say, chemotherapy, where you may give a course of six treatments and then be on follow-up surveillance, um, they're often given continuously until disease progression, which can be a period of time, and they come with various side effects, which can be unpleasant, and it may mean more hospital visits and more restriction to their normal lives. So patients and their doctors are really having to consider how we can get the balance right between maximizing the benefit of drugs while at the same time giving them the normal freedom and to enjoy a normal lifestyle. So in this particular study, we were looking at the way we give um, a targeted drug called a TKI or a tyrosine kinase inhibitor for kidney cancer. That It is normally given continuously, so every day or on a cycle with standard breaks until it stops working. And normally 30 to 40% of patients will come off Uh, treatment because of toxicity or require one or more dose reduction. So it has a significant impact. So there has been some earlier work in GIST tumors, gastrointestinal stromal tumors with imatinib and small, very small studies with TPIs looking at treatment breaks. And part of this is we noticed that patients who'd been on them for a while, who were coming off them, say, because they had a healing leg ulcer and their disease was saying stable on scan. So we had the idea that we could maybe do a larger study uh, looking at an initial course of treatment. We had a lot of discussion as an international and national group about how long we should give before we stop treatment and a treatment break. So we decided six months of treatment to check it's working um, and we can get the scans at three and six months. And then um, in an arm where they were having a treatment break to stop it. So hopefully that would help with them enjoying a more normal uh, lifestyle. And we could start it again if the the cancer started to grow, uh, usually on scan. And also this may um, provide less resistance to the treatment as well. So I guess the big question we were looking at was, uh, would the TKI drug work just as well with treatment breaks as if it was given continuously? So that's kind of uh, the backdrop. So there were some smaller studies, but it hadn't really been done on a meaningful scale. Thank you. So that leads into a little bit about the study design of the STAR trial. So could you briefly go over that as well as briefly describe the key findings? 
So um, when we set up this, the, the STAR trial, it was really a comparison between two groups of patients and it was randomised to standard of care versus treatment breaks. And I think what was important is when we started the trial, which was quite a while ago now, um, it was by no means a given that clinicians and patients would take up treatment breaks. So there was a phase two which looked at how many we could recruit per month in a certain number of centres. And also from a safety point of view, checking in that initial group um, that we weren't seeing a, a large detriment when patients came off treatment. Uh, we then proceeded to a phase three part of the study and the phase two counted towards that. Um, altogether, we recruited 920 patients from 60 UK centres. And I think what was important here that was a very pragmatic study. So smaller centres who may not normally take part in research were able to take part. And in that sense, it was very open to the community. Uh, also, I think these trials can be difficult to fund because you're obviously looking at less drug. And we're very grateful that the NIHR, National Institute of Health Research, agreed to fund the study. So I think both groups in our study were started on continuous treatment. And I mentioned that was for six months. We have a, a lot of very useful discussion with our National Clinical UK Studies Group and International for how long we should give before the break. And then after six months, the control group um, continued treatment as per normal until they progressed um, on treatment. But the other group stopped treatment and they were given a treatment break until their cancer progressed, either clinically or on scan, and they went back on drugs for at least six months. If they responded again, it was up to them and their clinician if they wanted to take um, another treatment break. And I think the maximum we actually had was someone having nine treatment breaks. So that obviously worked for, for, for them. I think the other thing about the trial is many of these drugs are expensive. And it was novel in that had a dual primary endpoint, which was overall survival and quality adjusted life years, which... For those of you who don't exactly know what that is, it's a measure of both the quality and the quantity of life um, lived. Um, and was it was a non-inferiority trial because we were aiming to show not that the treatment break was necessarily better, but it was comparable and was no worse than the control arm. Um, so what did the results of the study show? So I think the first thing for me was that we could, we could recruit that number of patients in what we would term a rare tumour to this type of treatment break strategy. So I think that, to me, was a result success in itself. But I think it also demonstrated non-inferiority for overall survival, at least in the intention to treat population and narrowly missed in the per-protocol COP population. But they did also show, if you look at the graphs in the published article, um, which is in Lancet Oncology, there's no clinical mean difference in overall survival between the groups. Um, survival in the control group was um, 28 months um, versus 27 in the treatment break, so comparable and the curves virtually overlap, showing that we weren't taking undue risk uh, with survival by opting for a patient break in these two patients. Uh, the results demonstrated non-inferiority for quality of life um, and also notably, the trial showed NHS cost savings of over £3,000 per patient. And most of that was due to drug cost savings. Uh, because this was a clinical trial, both patients still came in and had their blood tests done. But there is additional cost savings 
potentially and increasing the number of visits in between as well. Thank you very much. It's, a, it's very interesting to have a pragmatic trial um, and to sort of think about it in terms of what, how is this um, going to be applicable in clinical practice and also to have that economic aspect as well, which is really important, especially as you say, um, when you're trying to use less drug often, um, uh, pharmaceutical companies won't be interested in that. And so being able to get um, government funding for that is really important. So I thought it was interesting that um, a high proportion of patients discontinued treatment before week 24 or six months. Um, so before the random allocation to either treatment continuation or cessation. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what the main reason was for this and whether it affects the interpretation of the trial and the use of the treatment strategy in clinical practice. Thank you. Yes, happy to do that. So I think the first thing is when we were designing the trial, we took a lot of advice and both from reviewers, national and international and expert groups about when to randomize these patients, whether to randomize them at baseline or randomizing them at six months. Now, I think there's pros and cons to either strategy. Some people would say if you randomize them at six months, you wouldn't have had to talk to the people who may not have reached the six-month point. But then you pick up quite a select group of patients and people then ask how applicable it was. So the overall advice for our trial was to randomize at baseline. And if you look at the data from the trials with TKIs, there is quite a high dropout within the first six months. And um, most of that is for the patients who progress during that time um, or, or die. And some of it is also because of toxicity that they're coming off early. The advantages of having this information from the beginning, I think, were twofold for our trial. One, we can show how applicable it is and which patients may not benefit going forward. Um, and that's something we're looking at because we've got that data from the baseline. Obviously, for a clinical trial at six months, there are issues about picking people up because certainly in the UK, they tend to be looked after more by registrars and, and more junior staff. And trials that pick patients at that time often, there's a, you know, it's more difficult to recruit patients. So I think this will be very helpful in determining, you know, which patients are likely to make it to the six months and therefore, you know, would be the ones to think about a treatment break. And it has given that information. So we did allow for that in the original trial design, which said that at least 51% or more needed to have continued beyond the six months. So it's something we'd allowed for uh, looking at the, the different data. But the main reason is obviously people coming off because they've on scan uh, progress or they've had toxicity that has um, meant they've come off treatment uh, or a small amount just to normal trial dropout from any clinical trial. And and I don't think it really affected interpretation because we'd we'd allowed for that and it was within that. Um and but it does mean that we can now look at which patients would most benefit at the twenty-four weeks. And obviously, you know, if you've got a progression at three months, you're not going to be eligible. If you've got progression at six months, you're not going to be eligible. It's the other patients who've shown a response. Um so I think it that was useful. As I say, that you could argue it both ways, but the body of evidence putting this to trial together from the experts was was to uh, randomize at baseline. So people were equally likely to take up the offer of um, 
the treatment break rather than picking out a group that was already different to the main population. Absolutely. Thank you for that explanation. So if I understood correctly, you talked about quality of life as being an, obviously an important part of this um, trial and an important endpoint to understand. And um, if I understood correctly, there were no meaningful differences between the treatment groups on any of the quality of life scores um, that, you, that you looked at. Um, so why do you think that was? So I think obviously that's a very good question. In the study, we, could, oh, we showed that there were non-inferior both in the ITT and the per, um, protocol population. Uh, I'm not a statistician, but my understanding is you would need a much larger population to be powered to show superiority, particularly in the design of this trial where it's got two primary endpoints um, to show that. Uh, the second point, and I think a lot of good things have come out of this trial, maybe were not so obvious, is there's not really a very good quality of life measure for patients on treatment breaks. Um, and that is something we maybe need to look at uh, having a, you know, a, a consensus group um, for, for the future for take these forward. Um, for example, the patients who were on the treatment break arm for this trial were on trial significantly longer because you came off trial when you progressed. So by definition, if you were on continuous treatment, when you progressed, you came off and were just followed up for survival type of endpoints. Whereas when, when, you, came, when you were still on trial, um, but you were on a treatment break, and we know they were on for three months longer. And obviously the advanced cancer has quality of life impacts itself. And sometimes that is quite difficult to tangle out. Um, I mean, to be perfectly frank, I think we know from the qualitative interviews um, that the patients benefited a lot from a treatment break, um, you know, even if it was a short one to take holidays, attend weddings, and even to know the option that they had a break. And what we certainly did in the UK, because we knew these results were coming, because we knew the trial hadn't stopped early and therefore there wasn't a big safety problem, is in COVID it made a huge difference um, because these patients who might not want to come to the hospital were stable we were able to feel confident and say when a trial this far along in this number of patients hasn't stopped early because of, you know, safety signal. So I think, you know, all of that day to day has had a big impact on patients. And certainly in the UK, it's something that we're taking forward nationally to make these breaks more available to patients as standard. The current is six weeks within the UK, but we're trying to see, you know, as a result of this trial that this can be extended obviously in a personalized um, way and with consultant oversight uh, and input. So I, I think those were the, the same um, sorts of things. Obviously, for this trial as well, it didn't look at decreased hospital burden because they still had to come for the visits. So, you know, they were really just because we had to monitor them in the same way. So additional benefits for non-attendance at hospital wouldn't have been picked up in the quality of life. So. Sometimes I think we go a bit too complex and we maybe just need some simple questions like, was it better on a break than not on a break, rather than kind of asking quite a lot of detail. But I think that is something for large, you know, treatment breaks or less frequent treatments that we need to actually get right and, and have maybe some specialist quality of life measures to assess. That's a great point that sometimes what you're measuring isn't actually what you want to know. So it's good yeah. to have a a better quality of life questionnaire, for example. Yeah. Um, 
So finally, please could you tell us a little bit about what is next for treatment de-escalation in renal cell carcinoma? So the first thing to say is that although the STAR trial was successful, it was in a single country and it did take almost 10 years to complete the phase three trial, which is your holy grail of showing benefit. Um, and it was in 60 sites. Um, so, you know, and that was a very large academic study. So I think, you know, the ideal going forward is for cooperation between countries, international studies, um, so you can accrue the patients more quickly. And part of the reason for that is the treatment landscape does change and that allows you to, um, you know, have clinical outcomes more quickly that will benefit patients for longer. So I think that would be one part of the advice going forward. The second thing is, although TKIs are still widely used, um, there's a large number of new treatments which are becoming available, which is also welcome to patients. Things like immunotherapy, which have increased survival even further in advanced kidney. And they're often also now being used in combination up front with TKIs. Um, but they do still have very significant side effects. So I think the type of question is still valid. There's some, you know, studies like Refine, and uh, that's been run by the MRC in lung, renal, and melanoma, looking at less frequent um, nivolumab once patients have had their initial um, four cycles of uh, ipinevo, um, looking at two monthly versus once monthly. And I'm sure there will be more uh, trials looking at the TKI and the immunotherapy. And this trial will hopefully benefit designing that. Um, TKI on. Um, but I think we're probably just discovering the tip of the iceberg. And there's likely that many patients, as we get better at improving survival, could be de escalated. I think we wanted to show the survival benefit, but first, and you throw all things at that to get that. But then once you're starting to achieve that and people are living longer with toxicities, de escalation becomes more important. Um, and obviously, we don't want to compromise efficacy, but we want to have you know, better quality of life, better benefit for patients and possibly some cost advantages when we're weighing up which treatments to give. So I think my understanding from the STAR trial is it's really acted as a catalyst for studies going forward and, you know, it has highlighted things like when you have treatment breaks that you need to extend, you know, look at the quality of life in a different way. Um, it's also, to me, um, made me think that you need cross-country collaboration and it's how best that we would fund that going forward um, if it's a non-commercial study um, to be very powerful and meaningful to patients particularly in rarer tumors like kidney cancer um, and we have other trials that have recently competed like the PRISM trial that's been looking at the frequency so it's not just stopping it's looking at frequency of things like how often you give um, the um, IPI with the nivolumab um, 12 weekly or three weekly sort of spacing it out to space out the toxicity. So I think it's going to, it's already as a result of STAR, not just in renal cancer, but in other cancers shown what can be done. And it's also given some important lessons to maybe how we can do such a trial faster in the future and get those results to patients quicker. That's fantastic. I think that's a great note to end on. So thanks very much for joining me today. Thank you very much. It's great to be with you today. Thank you. You can read Dr. Brown's article online now at thelancet.com. Thank you to Dr. Brown and thank you for listening.
You can subscribe to In Conversation with The Lancet Oncology wherever you usually get your podcasts.